0: Hey, before we get to Isaiah chapter 9, I actually want to turn your attention to the complete opposite end of your book, to the book of Revelation, way to the back. Go to the book of Revelation, um, and I want you to look at chapter 2. I'll have these on the screens also if you you didn't happen to bring a Bible, but Revelation 2 has um, a passage I think is going to frame in what we're going to go back and look at from the much older book of Isaiah by the way, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeff, for those of you who've come and are new. I'm one of the pastors here. Sorry, I didn't do that earlier. All sorts of mistakes today. Let me introduce myself. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors. I'm gonna be the guy that uh, opens the book with you. So Revelation chapter two, uh, what happens is we think of Revelation as um, apocalyptic, meaning it, it talks about the end of the world and all these cataclysmic things that happen. And that's true. There's a lot of pages on that. But at the beginning of the book of Revelation, there's these, really important letters that are written to very specific churches in the first century. And the one that I want us to look at is to the letter of the church, uh, the, the letter written to Ephesus. And here's what he says. He says this to this church. I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. In fact, you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered, endured hardships for the sake of my name. And you've not grown weary. Like he's serious about this commendation, right? But, verse four, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember how far you have fallen. Repent. Do the works that you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. These are pretty chilling words, but they're really important for us to understand because here's what this letter is reminding us. God does not just want dutiful obedience from all of us who are his people, right? I mean, look at this commendation that this church gets. They They are strong. They have been persevering. They are so wise when it comes to the scriptures that they're able to identify people who are even claiming to be apostolic, and yet, hey, they can discern their way through that, find out, no, these are liars. We're not going to follow them, right? They've got so much going for them, so much that we would say, that is a strong church. That is a good and faithful church, loyal church. But God doesn't want just loyalty. (laughs) He's a heavenly father, and our father wants a loving relationship with his children, right? We are, we are to be God's children. We're adopted into his family, and so we are to, to love him the way that we are loved. We're to love him back, and so he says, remember the love that you had at first. Remember what it was like when we first got to know each other, when you first came to know me as father. Remember that kind of love, and this is one of the only times that he'll actually say, why didn't you go back and act like you did earlier on? Like, most of us Most of the way we lived, he would say, no, 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 don't go back there. Don't go back there. But when it comes to loving him, just that reckless, abandoned, childlike love, he's saying, actually, remember the way that you loved me? Go back and do that again. Go back and act like that all over again. It's beautiful. Okay. When I was thinking about all this in Isaiah 9, um, I, I have to share this with you because one of the moments that I will treasure for the rest of my life From our last trip to Zambia just a week and a half ago or whatever, was uh, this moment where we were able, uh, a guy from Iowa uh, gave us some money to be able to give Henry, one of our church planters, a new bicycle, a Buffalo bike. It's a really strong bike for him to go do church planting. And I want you to see what we did when when Henry got his new bike. I want you to see this. (laughs) Can you turn the volume up, man? Faster, faster. Listen to him. Faster, faster. No. He's... His laughter is just contagious. So what happens is, he gets this new bike and he's all excited and, uh, and I'm like, Henry, I know the way you guys pile people on your bikes. Let me get on the bike with you, you know, so I get on the back. So then we get to his place and I'm like, no, let's switch it around. So then I get in the driver's seat and he gets in the back, we're just, la- we're, just we're riding around and everybody's you know, you know, and all this stuff. And, as this Mzungu's riding this African around on his new bike. But Henry got a new bike, right? And all of a sudden, we went from, this is going to be a great tool for church planting. And by the way, let me show you the picture of him as he will normally be taking this. So this, look at how austere he looks, man. And that's Jess on the back. And they are going to go out. The reason they're on this bike, he sent me this just a couple days ago. Because this is how he goes out and plants churches. This is how he goes out and shares the gospel. And he just gets on the back, you know. And these, these guys are parents. They're grandparents. And yet here they are out, you know, planting churches. But in that moment, he got that gift. And it was like we were kids again, right? And we're just running around the yard on his bicycle laughing and kidding each other. Anyway, for a moment, we kind of had that, that childlike faith. Well, here's what I want to say. And we're going to make our way now to Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got your Bible, you can make your way back to As we get to Isaiah 9, here's my my goal for you today. I don't want you to grow up too much, okay? As we think about Advent, Christmas, and now as we begin to look at Isaiah 9, I believe what God wants to do for all of us is say, hey, don't grow up too much. Don't outgrow first love, don't outgrow the laughter and exhilaration of childlike faith that just digs what it is to get a new gift <laughs> and just delight in friendship and delight like there's going to be a lot of hard times for Henry, right? He's he's going to face a lot as he goes out church playing. But in that moment, just childlike glee and joy and I want us to find that again. There's there's a quote that I think really captures what I mean by first love because I don't mean immature love. It's actually a very mature but but first love wrapped in maturity here's what Jonathan Edwards says in his book affections he describes this he says as he has more holy boldness this this more mature as he has more holy boldness so he has less self-confidence as he is more sure than others of deliverance from hell so he has a greater sense that he deserves it isn't that beautiful he is less apt than others to be shaken in faith, but more apt than others to be moved by solemn warnings, God's frowns, moved by the calamities of others. He has the firmest comfort, but the softest heart, richer than others, but poorest of all in spirit. I love this last part. He is the tallest and strongest saint, but the least and tenderest child among them. Not that beautiful? That's that's first love. That's n- not neglecting maturity, you're stronger than ever, but you've still captured that tenderest child among them kind of affections for Jesus. All right, so with that in mind, let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. I think this text is going to take us there. I think it's going to rekindle first love. I, I believe that if we have ears to hear. So Jesus, please give us ears to hear as you speak to us, Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, it says, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he'll bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to the Galilee of the nations. Oh, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered the oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. God, we pray as we open this eternal word, as you speak to us through the ages from this book, would you awaken a joy in us? Lord, would you rekindle the love we had at first? Would it be like we're rediscovering the good news of this child coming for us? Lord, maybe as if it's the first time we're hearing it. But only you can kind of get through um, this hardness that we've created in our hearts. Only you can rekindle that fire. So we're asking you, Spirit, would you do that for us? Magically, supernaturally through your word, as only you can do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the way I've couched this, the way I want us to, to look at this is, is through some kind of childlike phrases. All right. So the, the very first point that we're gonna think about is this: you don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore. All right? I want you to rekindle this idea that you don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore. Where do I get that? It's it's probably the most memorable metaphor in this whole passage of Isaiah 9. It's there in verse 2: that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Probably the most memorable image from this this text. Guys, few things frighten children um, more than darkness does, right? You guys have all been there. Maybe you're still afraid of the dark, right? You can admit that. It's okay. We're all children of God in some ways. And I'm saying like darkness you know when they're calling out and they want the night light or you know they're yelling out because why they're they're seeing stuff in the shadows that they're sure is there you know they hear something in the darkness that they can't identify and you know they're, they're imagining the worst just imagine what he's describing here in in isaiah 9 the whole land filled with darkness look at the language that the whole land shrouded in darkness They're living in shadows, living in darkness. There's never a moment that the light is dawning. Like he's describing it just as blind people in a room of darkness, stumbling around, looking for any kind of hope and not being able to find it. Everything, you know, bringing fear. And then wham, a blinding light just shows up. Look at that in verse 2. A light is dawned. Darkness just kind of escaping all of a sudden this just burst of, of light. Wham, blinding light comes. But I want you to remember if you weren't here Last week, go on and, and, uh, and find Mark's message from last week because he talked about, guys, the darkness, the spiritual darkness that these guys are living in is all self-imposed. They have been living recklessly. The people that this is written to had been spurning God they had, they had been thinking that somehow they could eat drink and be merry you know carry on and do whatever they want and never have to give an account and this just went on for years and years just carrying on as if there's no God carrying on as if they had not been redeemed and delivered but that day of reckoning has come in fact look look at the end of chapter 8 the the last couple verses before our text the last couple verses verse 21 and 22 chapter 8 they will wander through the land dejected hungry And when they're famished, they become enraged. Looking upward, curse their king and even their God. They'll look down toward the earth, see only distress and darkness. There it is, the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness, like from one level of darkness to the next. But it's all self-imposed. They're the ones that have been bringing it on themselves, and now they're blaming God himself for everything going on. So this, this darkness is representing a couple things. I think one is fear of the unknown, right? The reason darkness is such an apt metaphor is because you don't know what's coming, right? You have no idea what's, and, and, and so that's why every little movement or every sound kind of grips you with fear, because you can't see what might be coming at you. You're, you're, will they be killed? You know, will they die of hunger? What, what will happen to their neighbor? Whatever. Will an ally come? I don't know, because everything's just dark. But it also, darkness doesn't just represent fear of the unknown. Another way that this metaphor carries it is that darkness actually represents ignorance. Ignorance. Here's the deal. These guys have been spurning God and his prophets and his word for so long. They, it's like they have no north star at all guiding them to truth. Because they've been silencing God. They've not been looking for truth to guide them. So they're ignorant right now. They're blinded by ignorance. But guess, get this it's a willful ignorance. (laughs) It's not, well, nobody ever told me. No, God had been telling them, but they've had their hands over their ears and their hands over their eyes. It's a willful ignorance, right? So they're of no help to themselves. They're certainly of no help to other people. They need someone else to help them, right? That's the whole point. Someone else has to reach down and help. Someone else has to turn on the light. They're not going to be of any help to themselves. So this self-imposed darkness, getting what they deserve, but God doesn't leave them there. He is the one to turn on the light. But what I want you to do is hold, hold your uh, place there in Isaiah 9, but I want you to go to the Gospel of John with me. I want you to see how he picks up this metaphor. We'll have this on the screens also, but, but John chapter 1 actually does a beautiful job of grabbing this metaphor from Isaiah 9 of people walking around in darkness but needing light because John 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. This is the way he's introducing Jesus to us. It's beautiful. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Now what he's doing is he's giving a nod back to Genesis, right? What's the very first thing that God created? Everything's darkness. Everything's chaotic. Everything's doom and gloom. And then what's the first thing that God creates in Genesis 1? Light, right? Let there be light. Bam! Just this burst of of light. The first thing that he creates to dispel the darkness. And John is saying, hey, it's just like that all over again. A world of darkness, and God's going to bring light into it. Look, look at verse uh, 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, he was in the world, and the world was actually created through him, and yet the world didn't recognize him. He, he came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. So once again, now we're seeing this self-imposed darkness, this self-imposed ignorance. He's trying to come to them, and they're like, No, no, I don't, you know, I I don't even recognize you. I haven't been watching for you. But that doesn't stop God. Look at verse 14. That doesn't stop God from doing the rescue anyway. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, that word glory, this bursting of light, the the presence of God where you have to like shield yourself from the, the glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The way that Jesus bursts onto the scene with his glory is to bring a couple things, grace and truth, bursting onto the scene. Grace, because we've been living in darkness and fear, and we're thinking, we actually are going to receive wrath. We actually are going to receive punishment, rightly. But instead, what do we find when Jesus comes? Grace. We don't get what we deserve. Suddenly, there's a, a, a God through Jesus saying, please come, I want to offer you forgiveness, and he brings truth. Guys, we've been filling our minds with so many untruths, chasing down our own dreams, our own fancied way, our imaginations, taking us to places, you know, just, we don't even know what's true anymore. And he brings truth to us. He can guide us now. He can show us the way. So he bursts onto the scene with grace and with with truth. Guys, I'm just saying, most of us have problems in our lives that are self-imposed. Most of our fears, most of the darkness that we're engulfed in is by the works of our own hands. And here is the beautiful thing. Advent reminds us that even though that's true, God doesn't leave you there. He comes on a rescue mission. He comes to turn the light on. Look, Like we're groping around, uh, and he comes. You don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore. Love that from Isaiah 9 too. But back in Isaiah 9, I, I, I love that, that we don't have to be afraid because God's going to bring the light to us. But secondly, tears give way to laughter. In, in Again, childlike imagery, tears give way to laughter. So here's the deal. I was thinking, thinking about uh, childlike love and fascination and faith and joy. And I was thinking, um, when I was a kid, I wanted so desperately to have a scar on my cheek. I really, really wanted a scar on my cheek. Some of you are old enough to know why I wanted a scar on my cheek, and I'm going to show you a picture of why that was true. That guy right there, I know, it's hideous, right? You're like, that is a scary thing. No, that's G.I. Joe, my kind of G.I. Joe. So right about the time I came on this earth, Hasbro created these guys, G.I. Joes, and he had a distinguishing mark. He had this big scar on his, I mean, I loved G.I. Joe. And these weren't dolls. Hasbro was very careful very careful. These are action figures, okay? And these action figures went everywhere with me. I mean, they were in the trenches. They got thrown out of the treehouse, right? They, they were action figures. But to show how tough and rugged he was, he had this massive scar. So I always wanted, in fact, I got one little scar. You can still kind of see it a little bit. And I just treasured that thing. And now it's all covered, you know, it's wrinkles. <laughs> like you're gonna, <laughs> not going to recognize it from everything else going on in my face. But, but recently my son Jet got an awesome scar. I want to show you this so my son my grandson jet see that scar on the top of his head on his forehead i hope you guys can see that because it's awesome so jet actually was out building this fort out in the woods and he took a tree branch in the head it was a pretty big gash, pretty pretty big bloody thing going on there and so obviously there were tears on the front end but now he knows he's got this awesome scar and everybody loves it he began, look at how adorable he's smiling Look at his chubby little finger. He's just this adorable kid, and he is cuter than ever because he has this incredible scar. Okay, that'll maybe take away the image of G.I. Joe. Just stare at Jet for one more second. Okay, you can take it down. Guys, isn't it amazing how quickly children can turn their tears into laughter, right? Right? Like in a moment, they go from everything just being absolutely devastating, worst thing they've ever experienced, to just laughing uproariously, right? Like Jet, just, I got a star. you know? That's what's going on in Isaiah 9. Look, look again with me. Verse 1 talks about the gloom. Coming off of the end of chapter 8, the darkness, the thick darkness, right? Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land won't be like the former times when he humbled the land, right? In the future, he's going to bring honor by the way of the sea. Look at verse 3. You, God, you have enlarged the nation, increased its joy. Yeah, there was distress and darkness and gloom. No, now it's, you bring joy. The people have rejoiced as they rejoice at harvest time. He just keeps using this word. As they rejoice when dividing the spoils, as awful as the darkness and the fear and the ignorance was, the joy is incredible. All of a sudden, the pain just kind of fades into the background. It seems to almost disappear, right? He comes and brings us the grace and truth, and we find ourselves smiling, even laughing. Even though if we think hard enough, we still remember the pain, it just kind of gets swallowed up in this kind of joy, this rejoicing. Guys, nobody in Isaiah's time minimized the darkness and gloom that they were coming out of. It was real. In my own life, you guys, I don't minimize the, the, the real scars of life, right? Getting a scratch on my cheek, yeah, momentary. But you and I, all of us, we carry some real scars, don't we? Stuff that maybe isn't visible. Maybe some of your scars are visible because it actually was a physical trauma. But emotional scars, relational scars, we bear these scars. And if we think long enough about it, if we think hard enough about it, those scars represent pain that can still bring tears to our eyes, right? I'm not minimizing the fact that we bear scars. What I am saying is when Jesus steps in with his light, the joy that he can bring us, those scars just kind of find their rightful place and end up almost being trophies of what God can do through such a wounded person. There's this Incredible passage in 2 Corinthians 4. I'll have it in the screen for you as well. 2 Corinthians 4 describes this very thing that Jesus brings to us. He says there, therefore, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. (laughs) Now, understand when he says momentary light affliction, what's he talking about? He's talking about his outer person being destroyed. <laughs> like he's being stoned to death at times. He's being chased out of town because of the gospel. He's, he's being afflicted. The scars that he bears are real scars, okay? But he's saying, oh man, in comparison with the weight of glory Jesus has brought to me, in comparison to what I have in Jesus Christ, these afflictions seem like light and momentary things, right? Because of the absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So guys, Jet's uh, head wound, it really did hurt, right? Like he really, he cried, okay? That recent breakup that you went through, yeah, that's real. That, that was hard. That diagnosis that you just got, it's, it's real, okay? Nobody's minimizing that. That job that you just lost, man, that brings real fear. It, it's, it's legit. It's, it's real. It scares you. But here's what I'm saying. Advent reminds us that Jesus is coming, and the kind of joy that he brings is it can make even the scariest, darkest fears just kind of dissipate. And all of a sudden, you find yourself smiling, maybe even laughing. Because even if the trial you're facing right now actually does bring the end to you, okay? What I'm saying is, even if you go to your grave with a broken heart, Even if you go to your grave with a broken body, even if you go to your grave with a broken bank account, whatever, if you play that out, and that is actually the state you're in when you close your eyes in death, here's what you've got. You've got Jesus that whole time whispering these beautiful promises into your ears in the midst of the pain. He's whispering things like, listen, I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. Those tears you've got right now, they're legit. They're real. I'm taking you to a place. I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. And guess what? I've been preparing a place for you. And this is a scary place right now. I'm going to take you to a place where you're never going to have to fear again. And in fact, darkness has no place where I'm going to take you. You're never going to see the darkness again. Just keep following me. Keep following me because I am telling you, I will stick closer to you than your most faithful brother. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And suddenly those promises whispered in here suddenly erupt in joy. Like even laughter. You find yourself even being able to sing the songs of deliverance in the midst of your pain. So you don't have to be afraid of the dark. Tears actually give way to joy and even laughter. Okay, this last point I want to make, and we're going to close with this in Isaiah 9. It might be the cheesiest one, but just work with me, all right? Jesus captured the flag, therefore you're free, okay? (laughs) Jesus captured the flag, right? So you remember when you were first playing capture the flag when you were a kid, right? And what a bummer it was if you were one of the first ones taken prisoner, you know what I mean? Oh my, yeah, totally, I saw that. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, so if, whether it was, you know, everybody has house rules, right? So maybe some of you froze, you know, others were taken to, you had to keep one hand on the walnut tree, or whatever, right? But whatever it was, you got taken out of play right away, and you couldn't do anything. So you're like, come on, free me, free me, or whatever, right? Just yelling, yelling, because you can't do anything. You're froze, or you're stuck to the walnut tree, or whatever it is, Right? You can't do it until you hear this. Ali, Ali, oxen free, right? Do they still say that? Ali, Ali, oxen free? I don't even know what that means, but all of a sudden you'd hear it in the darkness. Yeah, you know, and you'd let go of the walnut tree and you'd go back to your team, right? Because finally someone freed you, right? Because you couldn't do anything yourself. Somebody did, somebody came in and touched the tree or did whatever they had to do, grabbed the flag. doesn't matter. Whatever your house rules are, you got freed, right? Here's what I'm saying. You can't free yourself at all. But Jesus comes and frees us. Look look again at verse 4, you guys. You, Jesus, you shattered their oppressive yoke, the rod on their shoulders, the staff of the oppressor. You have, man, shattered that. Every trampling boot of battle, the bloodied garments, like those are real. Like some of my blood was on those garments, right? This is real. This was real war. But you know what? It's so useless now. We're just going gonna to use them for fire just so you can warm your hands, right? They're going to be useful, actually, because God's going to come in and shatter the oppression. We are the enslaved ones. We are the tyrannized ones. We're the ones with a boot on our neck, right? That's the description he's giving. And Jesus comes and frees us. Look, guys, Advent pulls no punches about this. You are hopelessly lost. You, you are hopelessly lost enslaved you are trapped in the darkness that darkness you feel it's real and you can't get yourself out others have sinned against you you have sinned against others you are trapped and the weight of that sin is oppressive it feels like this yoke just bearing down on us and that's when jesus alone comes in and shatters that yoke He takes it upon himself. He takes your pain, even your guilt, your sin, everything upon himself. He he absorbs all of that onto himself and frees you from it. That's why when people come to Christ, sometimes the the most kind of natural thing people feel, I remember feeling this myself, I feel like this weight has come off my shoulders, right? Do you hear that from people who come to Christ? I feel like this unbelievable weight is off my shoulders. That's That's where this is coming from, right? He shatters that oppression of, wait, Jesus alone can take all that. So let me ask you this. When you're a kid and you get freed, Ali, Ali, accent, free, right, or whatever, and you get freed, what sound do you make at that point? You're like, woo, right? Don't you kind of get, you whoop it up, right? What do you think if somebody's really freed as a POW in a, in a war and all of a sudden he gets freed, what kind of sound do you think they make when they get freed, right? Like, whoa, okay, here's what I want to know. People who have been freed from the sin of the oppression of darkness and sin. What kind of sound are we make? It's not silence. I tell you that, okay? Let me ask again: what kind of sound do people who are freed make? Yes! That's the kind of sound one more time. What do freed people sound like? Yes! That's what Jesus does in Advent. We feel that darkness, we feel that yoke, but it can't match the joy that we have when he frees us. Not because of something I've done, not because of the work I put into it. I was stuck. And Jesus alone comes in, shatters the darkness with his glorious light. He tenderly wipes the tears from my eyes tells me I've been set free. That's the Jesus that we celebrate. We're, we are we can you, the joy that is ours because Jesus has come, words escape me from describing it. But we get to see a little bit of a, like a visible demonstration of that because today we're having these baptisms. You guys, there's like 30 people getting baptized today. <laughs> It's so crazy. Yes, you're already whooping and clapping. They haven't even gotten the water. Here's our tradition. Some of you might be newer to Veritas, and yeah, we don't do offerings very well, and you know, stuff. But we do this really well. You know why? Because what this is, this is like central to what we believe. We believe that people step out of darkness and into the light of Jesus Christ. And baptism is this moment where you're so identifying with Jesus Christ. When he died, it's like I died with him. And when he rose again, his life now gets infused in my life. So we go under the water and come back up. And here's what we do as a church family. When that happens, and we're singing, we're worshiping, but when we see somebody match that death and come up in brand new life, we just go, yeah! We celebrate as if it's us coming up out of that water all over again, right? And so that's what we're going to do. We're we're going to celebrate and worship to Jesus. We're going to see these baptisms. We're going to enter into all of you who are being baptized today. We thank God for your deliverance, and we're going to whoop it up with you. But in the meantime, let's let's pray. Will you will you stand with me? Let's let's join together. Oh Jesus. Um, We want to get kind of giddy with laughter all over again at Christmas. We don't want to just march through Christmas like it's any other Christmas. Will you rekindle in us first love? Will you fill our our souls with the kind of laughter that Henry got when he got that new bike? Because something far greater than a new bike has come to us, Lord Jesus. It's you. You are here. You are moving in our midst. I love the song we're about to sing to you, Lord. Because you are a miracle worker. (laughs) You bring light into our darkness. That's what we're going to sing. And we believe it with all of our hearts. And so, Lord, we worship you. We celebrate you. And we join in the joy of, of, of those who are, who are about to be baptized. Lord, uh, we want to we want to have first love and excitement the way they are today. So fill this place with worship. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.